All right, well, it is a new year, and again, Happy New Year to you. Uh, next week, we're going to continue on in our journey through Luke. But this week, I want to give you a message that God's been putting on my heart, and it's this. The message is, New Year, still Jesus. New Year, still Jesus. And can we agree on something together? It's good to agree on some things. And so let's agree together that something's off when it comes to the new year and new year's resolutions, right? Like, like something doesn't work with this whole idea of new year's resolutions. And I, and I think most everyone kind of gets that, but we just kind of enter into it every single year again. I heard an ad yesterday, and I was laughing at it, and the ad was, let's make a resolution to keep our resolutions. <laughs> I think we get it, right? The, the ad was kind of mocking and acknowledging this ridiculous cycle that we're in of resolutions and then failure. And so what do we do? We resolve again. You feel that? Maybe some of you are looking back on 2015 and you kind of feel that a little bit. Well, with the, the new year, it's, it's conventional practice for me to get up here as a pastor and to motivate you to live for Jesus in 2016. Standard pastoral practice would say, take this sermon, set it apart, and capitalize on the new year, maybe do some kind of giving campaign or some kind of register to volunteer campaign or, or, or get into a group campaign and give you a message that would challenge you to live for Jesus and then send you home fired up with resolve in your heart to go and to live for Jesus. Now here's the problem with that. Many of you have played that game, right? You've heard the fiery preacher and he's challenged you to to live for Jesus, live a life of love, or to, to honor Jesus, or, or you've got to stop this year, fill in the blank. Or this year you've got to start, fill in the blank. You've got to live for Jesus. And so you leave, decided, I am going to live for Jesus. And then you get home, and for many of us it doesn't take very long before we fail to live f- for Jesus. And so in shame... We distance ourselves from Jesus because we failed him and we don't want to come before him. And we're distanced from Jesus until the next year New Year sermon or the next great sermon that motivated you or the next conference you go to or the next retreat you go to and where you're challenged again to live for Jesus. And we just kind of roll through this cycle, don't we? Resolve, effort, failure, shame. Resolve, effort, failure, Shame, resolve, a little more effort this time. Bigger crash and burn of failure and even more shame. And so here we are again. We could go through all that uh, again and you might get fired up and say, yeah, I want to live for Jesus. With resolve in your heart, you walk out of this place hoping that maybe, maybe this time it will stick. And it's really easy to treat living for Jesus like another New Year's resolution like he's your ten dollars a month no commitment membership to workout world anybody my wife and I a few years back were um, in this conversation we were talking about the beginning of the new year and we were talking about how you know it's it's gym membership time everybody go to the gym this time of year and it's slammed isn't it and we were we were thinking you know what we don't get to the YMCA as often as we should, and we got this expensive membership there, but we've got three young kids, and so it's really difficult to get there. So maybe this year, instead of the YMCA, we should go to WOW. We should go to Workout 
world and get a commitment there because they're advertising. It's only $10 a month and then we don't have to pay as much to not go to the gym. You know what I mean? And so that was kind of our, our, our decision. We'll do that. And then we started getting, thinking a little bit about how messed up that was, right? That our conversation about getting a gym membership with Resolve at the beginning of the year was based on the assumption that we're not going to go anyhow, right? And, and so let's pay as little as possible to not go, right? And check out their website here. I, I captured the screen. $1 down, $10 a month, no commitment, right? I mean, don't you want to commit to a gym that requires no commitment? That, does that sound, sound really nice? And, and so that's what we were, we were thinking. And, and, and I think this is kind of how we enter into New Year's, many, many of us, right? We, we start the year like that, even when it comes to, to Jesus, that, hey, I've seen myself fail time and time again, or make a resolution to live for Jesus, or to, to spend more time with Jesus, or whatever it may be with regards to Jesus, and you fail to keep it. And, and, and so you, you get excited, and you fail, and you try again, and, and, and you fail. And, and so this year, I'm going to kind of go in with a, a very loose commitment, because I'll, I'll probably fail. And a loose commitment is kind of a way that we protect ourselves, isn't it? We do that in all kinds of things. I, I'll be a part of that, but we're we never really make a firm commitment to things. People do that with regards to the, the church as, as well. And, and we're saying, I'm, I don't think I'm going to succeed. I don't think I'm going to be committed. But I'll, I'll make as loose of a commitment as I possibly can. We treat Jesus like workout world. But the problem is, is that Jesus isn't cheap, right? He's not cheap. I mean, for us, it's free, a relationship with Jesus. You do nothing to earn God's favor. But it was very, very, very expensive, the price he paid. He had to die on, on a cross. I, I say this often, but there's no room for apathy in the Christian faith. I mean, I think it's, so, it's one of the things that's just so clear in the Bible. But for some reason, Christians just don't get it. Jesus says, I want you to be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. There's no room for that fuzzy, Christian, lukewarm middle. Somebody died for you, right? And yet, that's kind of how we treat Jesus. I don't want to make a commitment that I don't historically keep. Yet, there's no room for apathy. So what do I do? What do I do? Let me keep it real simple for you this morning. Real simple. Here's your points. Make a plan, but let him be the man. If you're taking notes, there it is for you. Make a plan, but let him be the man. Those are our two points today. First one is is make a plan. Listen, if something is important to you, you're going to make a plan, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth. If something's really important to you, you're going to make a plan. Some of you have a retirement plan because retirement is really important to you. You're going to make sure that when you grow old, you're taken care of or your family, your children are taken care of. There's funds to, to live on. So you make a plan. For some of us, it's really important that you get a break this summer. And so you're looking ahead to summer and you're, you're blocking out some weeks. You want to get summer vacation. You'll definitely start to do that as the snow starts to fly here in the next few weeks. And you're going to make a, a plan. Some of you are already doing that. Some of you, you're, you're making a plan for your career. You're, you're charting out the steps to get where you want to be with your career. 
Maybe you're making a plan with your degree program. I'm going to get this degree, then I'm going to move over here and transfer here and get that and this and that. I'm going to get this apprenticeship or this fellowship, this internship. And then, of course, we make plans to get healthy this year, and I think that's a good thing as well. And some of you are making plans. You've got your membership, or you've been back in the groove a little bit for all two days of this new year. And the reality is when something's important, you're going to make a plan. So I want to ask you, what is your plan for growth in your faith? This year, what are, what are you thinking? Or have you been thinking about that? That which is most important. Christ is all and in all. He's everything. He's the most important. He's not the first at the list where everything else kind of falls into place. He's, he's the center where everything else, he's the hub and all the spokes connect to him. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and do you have a plan for how to, to develop and, and grow in honoring Jesus? Now, the Bible is all for, for planning. Listen to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. It says this. It says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The principle there is that you've got to plan to get to abundance, to see fruit, to see results. You don't just casually roll through life. That's not good. And I want to encourage you to start to think this year through what are your plans for your development in 2016. I have a pastor, even pastors need pastors, and, and my pastor says it this way. He says, if you don't lead your life intentionally, your life will randomly lead you. Some of you can look back where I was just kind of strolling through life. I wasn't real intentional about how I was going to live life, and man, I drifted. If you don't lead your life intentionally, your life is going to randomly Lead you, you're going to be tossed around by the challenges of life when it comes and hits you and it's going to bump you over here if you're not very intentional about how you're going to live your life. If you don't consult the Lord and develop a path and put people around you to help you on that path. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9.25. He says, I do not run aimlessly. And so think about your own life. Are you running aimlessly through life? I think many of us are. We just kind of just want to try to get through the day, Pastor. And we just kind of run aimlessly. The next thing he says after that, he's like, I'm not a boxer who just beats into the air. I got something I'm hitting at, right? I got a target. I'm not running aimlessly. And so we need to develop plans. We need to have intentionality about how we're going to live our lives. And, and we're all at different places in life. Right? We look around this room, we're all, we're all just so different. So different. And so we have to think through our, our, our plans a little bit. Maybe some of us have, have to make some plans for repairing some areas of our lives. And, and maybe others of us need to make some plans for, for growing in, in some areas of our lives. Let's, let's just use marriage as an example. And whatever your thing is, whatever it is that you need to really develop and, and work through, insert that into marriage. Let's think about marriage. For, for some of us, our marriage is in need of repair. And so... We need to, to develop a plan, think about, give time to, pray about, consult the Lord, consult counsel around you. The, the Bible talks about uh, a man who puts counsel around him is going to be wise. You need counsel, right? If you don't develop a plan for repair, it's only going to continue to disintegrate. It doesn't work in the opposite direction. It just spirals out of control. For some people, your marriage is, is really healthy. That doesn't mean, well, then you just sit on your hands. That means you have to make a plan so that it would continue to grow. Because we live in a sin-stricken, fallen world where things just 
tend to drift towards chaos and the pressures of life grow and grow and grow and are seeking to push you in the wrong direction. It's just the nature of living in a fallen, sin-ridden world. So we need to think about how to repair. We need to think about how to grow the areas of our lives that we need to really be putting some attention on. The areas that God says are essential. We need to always be moving forward. Always be moving forward. Listen, don't sit still. Seriously, don't sit still and be content. Well, it's not broken, therefore I don't need to do anything. No, we keep growing. Because when you sit still, you get into trouble. That's what happened with King David. You know the story of King David? Man, God really did some amazing stuff in this young guy's life. And by the grace of God and the plan of God, he becomes king and starts to prosper but then he sat still he stopped going out to battle with his army and when he stayed back from battle that's when he fell he got comfortable he sat still let me let me give you this scripture second samuel chapter 11 1 and 2 i'll put it on the screen for you here's what it says it says in the spring of that year the the time when the kings go out to battle david sent joab and his servants with him in all israel And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. That's the first time we see that. But David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And you know the story. He goes and pursues her. leads him to adultery. It leads him to murder. But it wouldn't happen. He was moving forward, but instead he decided to sit still. We all have to do that, even if it's not broken. And his kingship wasn't broken. It was looking pretty good at that time. You've got to keep making forward progress, plans for repair or plans for growth. Now, based on the scriptures, I just want to give you four areas, four categories to consider. You might want to write these down. These are some things that you can think through as you develop a plan for growth for this next year. And I want to challenge you to really develop a plan in these areas of your, your life in 2016. The first one is, is Lord. Write that down. The, the Lord. And then there's home. And then there's purity. And then there's gifts. Lord, home, purity, and gifts. Think about the Lord with me for a minute. We've got to really think through how are we going to develop and grow our relationship with God in this next year. Think about your, your prayer life. Think about your time in, in the scripture. Your, your spiritual growth with other people. As you look through the New Testament, there wasn't much, if any, solitude reading the Bible by myself. It was reading the Bible, studying the Bible with a church family. It's very important to make that, that practice. Your faith is meant to be shared in relationship with others. And that's how we develop our relationship with the Lord. First, you've got to think through the Lord. Start working a plan there. What are you going to do? Be intentional. Your life is going to randomly lead you to not spend time with the Lord, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you, when I first started dating my now wife, she's my wife because I made a plan. And maybe, maybe it wasn't a written out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and chart it out. But I really had some, some thoughts. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I talked to my buddies, ran it by them. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to ask this girl to spend some time with me. I remember the very first time I, I, I started to execute the plan. I went to see her in the cafeteria at our college. And as I go up there, 
another guy. It was like a scene of a movie. Slides in in slow motion. It sits right beside her, and I turned back around with my head held low <laughs> and went back to my friends and said, I can't do it. And she went on a date or so with him and then realized that he was a loser and I'm the man she needs to be with. So, but I had a plan. And for some of us, you develop a plan, and you find that your plan wasn't perfect. God tweaks your plan, and that's good too. But you keep moving forward, and you keep looking to God. You make a plan. How are you going to grow in your relationship with the Lord? We plan to grow and develop a relationship. The second area is is in your home. I just want to encourage you to take some time to think through your marriage and your family if you're married, and if you have a family. Develop your marriage over the course of this next year. Men, how are you going to lead your wife? The Bible says it's your responsibility to lead your wife to grow in the Lord. How are you going to do that? How, how are you husbands and wives going to lead your children to, to grow in the Lord? Well, you know, if I get a chance, I'll maybe try to open the Bible. That doesn't work because you don't get chances with kids. You're busy all the time. Develop a plan to execute leading your kids to know and to love and to serve Jesus. How are you going to make a home where Christ is, is centered in your home as the Bible calls you to? The first church is the little home that you have. And mom and dad are leading that home to know and to love and to serve Jesus. And there's many of you who aren't married. You say, well, then I'm out of this. No, 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 no. Your single self will be your married self. You don't really change. You're not like automatically somebody else. They'll they'll change you over time, but you need to develop who you want to be for then. Now, you're setting life patterns and a trajectory now for then. And so I want to encourage you to think about that as well and work on yourself. And as you work on yourself and your relationship with the Lord and you're growing in that, you're also preparing yourself for a home, a marriage, a family that will honor Christ. The next area is purity. I want you to think about purity, plan for for purity. That is personal holiness. Some of you have old sins you need to confess to the Lord. You haven't been dealing with. You're just trying to push them aside and then they rear their ugly head. Maybe you need to talk to some other people and get some other people to help you, hold you accountable to help you grow in this area that you're struggling with. But you you have to deal. Some of you, you, you don't have any major just blatant sins that you're aware of. Ask somebody else. Help me discern myself. I know there's areas that I need to grow in. But help yourself and help other people grow in purity, grow in in holiness this year. Think about that. Be intentional about that. What safeguards do you have in your life to keep you from falling? Because that's where we tend to go. Next area I I want you to think about is, 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 is gifts. God has gifted us so much. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from above. That means natural gifts. Some of you just have some natural gifts that you're just really gifted in, just naturally. It's how God wired you. It's amazing. And you need to think about, how am I going to use these to honor the Lord? It's why He's given them to me. He wants me to use them and manage them and steward them well this year. When you become a believer, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and He gives you now spiritual gifts. You all have at least one of those if you're a Christian. Figure out what your spiritual gift is. You should really make it a point to find out what your spiritual gift is. I'm constantly asking people, what's your spiritual gift? And if they don't know, that's okay. But you need to be working towards figuring it out. Write this down if you don't know it. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 
Ephesians 4, those passages will give you a list of spiritual gifts in the Bible and see which one resonates with you. Start to exercise some of these things and see where you do well. Ask other people to help you figure out, is that something that I'm gifted in? But use your spiritual gifts to honor the Lord in in 2016. God's gifted us resources, stuff, finances. How are we going to use that to honor the Lord in in 2016? I I want to honor Him. Even your body counts, right? Your body is a gift. We need to be good stewards of our body. So how are we going to get healthy in, in, in 2016? Maybe we need to change eating habits a little bit. We want to honor the Lord with our body. But I just want to encourage you to think through these things. There's just kind of some bullet points for you to walk through and really start to develop how can I honor the Lord in Lord, home, purity, and, and gifts in, in 2016. I want to really make an intentional effort there. Now, I've told you this several times, and I'll say it again. Some of you might leave this place with really good intentions. And this maybe is one of the things that sets it apart, as we were talking about at the beginning, hopefully this, this year. Good intentions don't mean jack, right? Nobody anywhere did great things just because of good intentions. It's good intentions that lead to a plan. Listen, a goal without a plan is wishful thinking. You've got a plan as to how I'm going to get there. And so I want to encourage you, develop a plan. I would be thrilled to find out. I developed a plan. I spent some time, I took some time this week to think about how I might develop in these areas throughout the course of this year. Now, assuming you do that, assuming you make a plan, and you should, Here's where it all falls apart. It all falls apart when you make a plan, but you seek to execute your plan apart from Christ. You seek to execute it without Jesus, which brings us to our our second and final point, really, of this morning. And that is, you make a plan, but you let him be the man. Now, I don't want that to come across irreverent, like Jesus is the man, or you've seen the t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. That's not my intention at, at all. When I say, let him be the man, what I'm talking about is God is God. He is so otherly. He is so beyond us. But as we just celebrated with Christmas, the incarnation, carn, meaning flesh, think carnivore. God became a man. God took on flesh and dwelt among us, and he has become a man, and he lived in our shoes, and lived perfectly the life that we can never live. He was sinless, and the Bible says that the wages, what we've earned because of our sin, is death. And because he was sinless, means he didn't have to die. But yet he chose to die. He chose to lay down his life as our substitution so that we could be made right with God if we would trust in him. And so we make our, our plans, but we let his life on earth and, and his death and his resurrection, his manliness, his humanity be what makes us right with God. So we make plans, but do not be deceived into thinking that your execution of your plans is what earns you favor with God. We've been going through the book of Luke together uh, for, it'll be a year and a half when we finish up as, as a church family. We've seen all along the way, Jesus just keeps calling out these spiritual religious leaders. Why? 
because they're so self-reliant. And sometimes we can make plans and we can seek to grow in our walk with God and we become really self-reliant and we start to think that I'm the one who's really executing this. I'm doing pretty good. I'm living pretty holy. I'm honoring God. Therefore, God loves me. Therefore, God lets me into his eternal kingdom into heaven. And that's not true at all. You make your plans, but you let him be the man. And you make your plans because he was the man. Now, we want to live a life that honors God out of a gratitude for what he has done for us. Not so that we can earn his love and his favor. It's the spiritual chicken or the egg. And every other faith system out there says, I want to please God. I want to do, 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 do to earn God's favor. God says, no, I came to you and I did it. Therefore, you want to honor me. But it doesn't earn you my favor. Now, make a plan. We let him be the man. And because he's the man, we have a plan and we want to seek to honor him and really grow in that area of our lives but we need his power. And by his power, and only his power, are your plans even going to remotely hold up. You ever tried to execute your plans without the power of the Lord and they just seem to crumble? Especially spiritually, that's going to happen. Develop a plan and somehow God, it's all about God, but then God's not even involved in the details of your plan. When push comes to to shove, your plans aren't going to hold up. And so, It leads us to our final passage, and the only one I want to ask you to turn with me to, and that is Colossians chapter 1 this morning. If you would flip on over to Colossians chapter 1, I want to look at 26 and 27. If you need a Bible, we have them throughout the room. Um, If you don't have one with you now, you can just grab that on your way out and keep that if you don't have one of your own. And we'll put it on the screen for you as well. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Now, the main purpose of the, the, the letter of Colossians, it's a, it's a letter within the overarching uh, story of Scripture, is to clear up the Colossian heresy. We read at the beginning and at the end of the letter about this guy named Epaphras. He's a member of the church of Colossae, hence the book or the letter to the Colossians. And uh, he, he's currently spending some time with Paul hanging out with the Apostle Paul. And and Epaphras was converted during Paul's three-year missionary journey to this place called Ephesus. And then he carried the message of Jesus to this town of Colossae and a new church is formed. We like new churches. We love when God does that. And and so Epaphras is now informing Paul that there are some false teachings kind of spreading throughout this new church, this Colossian church. And we see what those teachings are in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9, we see that there's this kind of this early Gnostic idea that, that Jesus was merely a man because God couldn't fit into humanity. God couldn't dwell in human form. And in Colossians 2, verse 10, we kind of see that it, it denied that a Christian is complete in Jesus alone. And so it tried to add to the Christian faith these other practices that would help heighten your spirituality. It's not unlike what we see today in Christian churches. We try to add to what God has done, but Jesus plus anything doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
And this passage is important to us today on this first Sunday of the new year because we can struggle to think that our, our plans are going to add to our standing with God, that our execution of our plans are going to make God more happy with us, more favorable uh, upon us. Listen, your plans don't give you God's favor. We have plans because of the favor that is already on us, and now we want to live a life to honor him. Just like my love for my children is not conditional. God's love for you, Christian, is not conditional. He loves you because he's your father and you're his child. And in a perfect world, a child would honor his father and mother, right? And that's what we want to do. So let's, let's read Colossians chapter 1, 26 and 27. In the midst of all of this confusion, here's what Paul says. He says, verse 26, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That's us, Christians. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love Paul's flowery language. He gets it. It's amazing. And he's speaking about a mystery that has been revealed. And a mystery is something that was once concealed, but is now revealed. And Paul is really excited to tell us about what has been revealed. And the answer is this. It's, it's, it's all that we need. It's a, it's a mystery. It's amazing. When I hear mystery, I tend to think infomercials. Anybody? No? Okay. When I hear mysteries, I tend to think the secret to a body like his, or a secret to flat abs like hers or or a secret to get your hair back or whatever it may be can I confess for just a minute I'm an infomercialaholic my name is Josh and I love infomercials a little too much sometimes praise the Lord for Netflix that you don't have to watch commercials anymore because that was for a season my my downfall and I would scroll through trying to find something on television and the next thing I know it's been 30 minutes I've been watching an infomercial and in my early days as a married man, my wife would come in and she would see me watching an infomercial and she would go, all she had to say was, really? One word. And then I was like, it was as if I was busted with a flask of liquor in my pocket or something. You know, I just, oh gosh, I'm watching an infomercial. I'm so sorry. Wow. And, and Paul says, the secret, right? To abs like this, a secret to spiritual strength. I have the formula. I have the key. The mystery has been unlocked. It has been hidden for ages. But our doctors, our researchers have done all this amazing work and they have found the secret to get here before and after. Spiritual before and after. He says, here it is. It's Christ in you. Your only hope of glory. Romans chapter 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's your only hope. Christ in you. Did you catch that? It's Christ and you, the hope of glory. You and Jesus. Jesus and your co-pilot. He's your co-pilot, right? If you have that bumper sticker, you better go rip it off and get some goo gone before I walk out of these doors and see that because that is garbage. He is not your co-pilot. It's not Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. It's you becoming a lifeless puppet and Christ living through you. Christ animating you. The Spirit of Christ, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit. We need to be people who are walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. Spirit, the Bible says. Christ 
in you, Christ animating you. That is your only hope of glory. When Christ dwells within your heart, then you can be in right standing with God. But see, here's the problem. Here's where so many Christians mess it up. They say, okay, we start with Christ. We give our lives to Christ. But then the rest of my life is on my own. It's always only Jesus. It's a new year and it's still Jesus. It's Jesus at the moment you become a Christian at salvation and it continues, 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 continues to be Christ in you. If you want to do anything great, it's got to be Christ in you. It's got to be Christ in you. The problem is we give our lives to Jesus and we rely upon Jesus for our salvation, but then try to go on living our lives by ourselves apart from Jesus. And for many people, when it comes to Christian living, the right things are not happening. And the wrong things just seem to keep happening over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 7, 19. He says, the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very thing I don't want to do. Even Paul got it wrong, right? And so what do we resolve to do? We resolve to die. (laughs) To stop trying so hard and to start dying. Can I write that down? Stop trying, start dying. Dying to self, the Apostle Paul says. He says, I've got to die daily to myself, my own strength. Has anybody ever struggled with something? He said, God, never again. I'll never do it again. And then it seems like time flies and here you are again saying, God, never again. Oh, wait, I just said that, didn't I? Think, will it ever change? Will I ever be free from this sin? Will I ever experience the fullness of God, the abundant life that the Bible talks about? Will I leave church maybe this week with something that will help me to go and to to do it? Maybe this is the week. Maybe it'll be this retreat. It'll be this sermon. It'll be this conference. It'll be this connection group. It'll be this Bible study. It'll be this conversation. It'll be this podcast. It'll be this sermon I watch online. It'll be this devotion. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's the constant struggle that I feel as a preacher every single week is, God, I don't want to get up there and tell them to go do something. Because doing something doesn't work. You make plans and you try to execute those plans apart from Jesus doing something in you and strengthening you and enlivening you. It's futile. It's absolutely futile. So how do I live for the Lord? How do I find victory over sin? And this is where our faith departs from every other faith system out there. This is where I have to depart from every other motivational speaker out there. My dentist the other day said, I love that you're a motivational speaker. If you ever need me to come motivate the teenagers that you work with, I would love to help out. But I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't want to motivate people to do anything. I want to tell them the truth. I'm, I'm a news anchor. I'm declaring the news, right? And the news is Jesus has done it. You don't have to do it. You don't go be victorious over sin. Jesus was victorious over sin. 
I'm not going to ask you to go fight sin. I'm not going to ask you to go live for the Lord in your own strength. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm going to invite you to die to self, die to trying. Give your life fully to Jesus. I had a coach in high school, and he was known as this little, short, scrappy, loud guy, right? And he, was, uh, he went to the Coast Guard Academy in Connecticut and just was a really good leader and really good screamer, right? And so when I would run, he would get it towards the finish line, and, and he would just scream, Wyatt! You got this, baby. Just go. Pray. And you just scream. Go, Wyatt. Keep going, Wyatt. And just scream at the top of his lungs for me. But he never said, you can't do it. You can't do it. Press on because you can't do it. But that's what I'm trying to tell you right now. You, you can't do it. But what's so beautiful about the Christian faith is that you don't have to do it. He did it. You don't have to carry the pressure of performance all the time. That's why when you fail and you will fail from time to time, God doesn't want shame for you. Shame is a tool of the devil, of the enemy, of Satan. He wants for you conviction, but there's a big difference. Shame means pressing you down. You don't get back up. Conviction means, yeah, things got to change. God, help me. You see the difference? That's what he wants for you. The Bible says there is no one righteous. No, not one. So just trust Jesus and let Jesus strengthen you. So I was a puny freshman in high school, as you may imagine, and uh, my brother got a free weight set. Um, it wasn't for free. They paid for it, but it was a free weight, you know, not a machine. Uh, the kind with the bar and the bench and and one day my parents uh, left for a few hours and my brother was upstairs watching television and the, the free weight set was down in the basement. And so I remember going down there and uh, loading up weights on the bars. I was going to pump some iron and get strong for some, you know, girl or something. And, and I got up under that bar after having loaded the weights on and, and I got up under that thing and I pulled it off and Boom! It just landed on my chest. And I couldn't get it up. I just, I could not get the thing up. And I remember just, oh, trying so hard. It's like the harder you tried, your muscles just got more and more tired. And it was just increasingly less likely that you're going to get the thing off. And I remember screaming for my brother, Nick! Nick! Help me! Nick! And I hear SpongeBob SquarePants, you know, loud on the TV, right above where the weight set was on the first floor. And he couldn't hear me. I remember screaming, Nick, please. I honestly got desperate. I thought I was going to die, crushed under all 20 pounds. of that And uh, I screamed and screamed and screamed. But then a miracle happened. And I looked at the end of the, the bar, and I forgot to put the clamps on <laughs> that hold the weights in place. And so I did this number right here. I leaned it. And you know what happened? The weights went, sing. And then what happened over here? <laughs> and it flew that way, and I jumped up, and I was free. I remember running up the stairs, and I went to my brother, Nick, I'm here. And he said, what? <laughs> he had no idea. But I was alive, man. I was free. It felt so amazing. <laughs> and he thought I was an imbecile. What did I do wrong? 
I got up under that weight and I put a little too much confidence in myself. I thought I could do it. But I needed a spotter. I needed probably more than a spotter. I need somebody who can just help me lift the weight, period. And I believe that likely this is, this is many of you because it's been me many times. I leave with a lot of resolve and a lot of confidence, but in the end it ends up being kind of confidence in myself and not confidence in the Lord. The Bible uses the same kind of language. Numerous times it refers to sin like a weight that will crush you. Like a millstone put around someone's neck and they're cast to the sea and they die, they drown. It will, it will absolutely crush you. Jesus says, however, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Philippians chapter 3, 3 says that Christians are people who put no confidence in the flesh. But we only glory in Christ because Christ is our only hope of, of, of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ who came up under the weight of sin and he squatted that sin upon the cross for you so that you don't have to. That you die daily. You pick up your cross and you follow him. You say, Jesus, I'm trusting in what you have done. I can't do it, but you did it. Every day, every day, I need your power. It's not tomorrow I'm going to wake up and try to go execute my plans apart from Jesus. It's tomorrow I need Jesus, just like I needed Jesus the same day I gave my life to him. And so we make plans. We do make plans. It's biblical. Plan your steps. Let the Lord rearrange things sometimes. Bounce your plans off of the counsel of other people. Be intentional. Be deliberate. Jesus himself did. I came on a mission. My mission was to seek and to save the lost. I mean, I went to a little word study this week. How many times Jesus says, I came so that. He just keeps saying, I came. I know what I came for. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. The Apostle Paul says, I'm running a race. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm going. My eyes are fixed on the prize. It's Jesus. I want to live to honor Jesus. So make a plan. But in the midst of it all, let him be the man. Know that, yes, your eternal victory is in Jesus, but also your daily victory is through Jesus. I want to call you to live this way in 2016. People who are intentional and committed to live for Jesus and to honor Jesus and keep him centered in everything that you do. But at the same time, you only do it through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray for my friends in this room. And thank you that they're here this first Sunday of the new year because they want to they honor you. They want to live for you. They want to do what you're calling them to do and, and they're here. And so God, I, I pray that you would work in their hearts. That you would show them their complete need for Jesus. And some of you in the room, while your eyes are closed, you, you know right now that you need Jesus. The Bible says it this way, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not that you say some magic word, Jesus, and suddenly you're saved from sin. It's the intention of your heart where you really genuinely in your heart are calling out to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. I don't want to do it without you. I need what you have done for me on the cross because of my sin. 
I need it. That you would pay the price for my sin. I want to turn from it and I want to follow you forever. And some of you need to call upon Jesus, not unlike I called upon my brother. Jesus, help me. Except Jesus hears when you call. Except Jesus is able to lift the crushing weight of sin, the greatest weight of all time. The weight that we see every single day in this broken world with shootings and violence and hatred and pain and death. Jesus has dealt with it. I want to invite you right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And he hears you. It's the great, greatest way to, to start this year. Turning point for the rest of your life is to follow Jesus. Others of you in here, you are a Christian. But you've definitely been self-reliant. You're trying to do this thing apart from Jesus somehow while calling yourself a Christian and doing Christian type things. Maybe you need to call upon the name of Jesus, not to be saved or made right with God again, but to come back to a person who says, I just, I need you still, Jesus. And he doesn't shame you and say, get away from me. You messed up one too many times. You can't mess up one too many times. You can't outrun the grace of God. So receive it and enjoy it. Because one day you don't have to fight this fight anymore. One day death will be no more. Sin will be no more. Sickness will be no more. But he wants you to have a taste of that now on this earth as you trust in him. As we pray, as we sing, talk to God. Do business with the Lord if you need to. Give your life to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. You talk to him as we sing this song. That is a prayer. Lord, I need you. Every single hour of every single day, I need you. Help us, Lord. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.